Awesome. Well, guys, we are starting a new series today called Loving God with Our Minds. The year-long theme is God First. Those of y'all that are visiting, we have a year-long theme, God First. And we're looking at what it looks like for Christians, for churches that put God first and everything. Today we're starting a new series called Loving God with Our Minds. And we're talking about today, uh, Easter Sunday, the good news, the bad news, and the good news. And the main thing today, the resurrection is the greatest day in history. Now, I was asked by a friend of mine one time, uh, what would it take for you to become an atheist? What would, what, would it, you, what would it take for you to leave the Christian faith and become an atheist? I said, very simple, they'd have to find the body of Jesus. If some people, some archaeologists, some genuine uh, archaeologists and truth seekers and everything could actually go over to Jerusalem, they could find the body of Jesus in a tomb or in a grave somewhere, I would uh, cease to be a Christian. I'd never set foot inside a church again. I would become an atheist, and I would take whatever eternal consequences that was, because that would mean that Jesus was the biggest fraud in history. That would, that's what that means. If he was here, if his body was here, uh, then, then, then we, he would be the biggest fraud in history. We could go see the tomb of Confucius. We can go see the tomb of Muhammad. We can go see the tomb of Buddha. Uh, matter of fact, those are big tourist attractions. But you can't find the tomb of Jesus. Why? Well, because there's nobody. There's nobody. Uh, we know where the tomb is, uh, the Jerusalem hillside. Jesus, was, Jesus preached publicly. He was, he was tried publicly. He was executed publicly. And in, fact, in fact, crucifixion was a public thing because it was a, an example, it was a message to the rest of the people, don't mess with the Roman Empire. It was designed to be public. He was publicly buried. Everyone knew where the tomb was. And yet, th- three days later, the, these, these uh, rough uh, disciples started preaching that Jesus was resurrected and that the tomb was empty. And had, had there been a body in the tomb, the, the authorities and the people, they knew where the tomb was, could have gone there and seen, and Christianity would have died out like thousands of other religions have existed throughout the world. But that didn't happen because they couldn't. They couldn't show the body. There was no, there was no body there. And I, I've got proof for the resurrection. That's a different sermon. I've preached that many times. But we're going to talk about this today. That's what it would take for me to walk away from the, from the, uh, from the Christian faith. If they found the body of Jesus. Chuck Colson, who was a Nixon White House aide caught up in the Watergate scandal, said this. I know the resurrection is a fact, and Watergate proved it to me. How? Because 12 men testified they'd seen Jesus raised from the dead. And then proclaim that truth for 40 years, never once denying it. Everyone was beaten, tortured, stoned, and put in prison. They would not have endured if it wasn't true. Watergate embroiled the 12 most powerful men in the world, and they couldn't keep alive for three weeks. You telling me 12 apostles could keep alive for 40 years? Absolutely impossible. So if there was a God, I would expect him to be able to do things like the resurrection. Is that, a, is that fair? If, if there was a God, and God, the definition of God being the being above which no higher being exists, you know, if you're God, there's no one above you, I would expect that things like the resurrection to be in your skill set. Uh, you're the author of life, the creator of life. I would expect the resurrection to be within your realm of possibilities. Um, and if there was a God, not only that, I would expect one single coherent message to be passed down from time immemorial. One message, not a lot of different things. Well, I've got good news. God has given us one message, one message from the beginning. The Bible tells one message, and that's the good news, the bad news, and the good news of the gospel. Okay, so the good news is this, is that God created you in his image, 
and he proclaimed it good. Now, one of the things that, that's already a sticking point for some of the people in here, you do not believe that God created you and that you are good. You don't believe that. You've been told all your life that you are not good. Well, this is, this is I hope that this illustrates it well. I have here a $100 bill, okay? $100 bill. Now, this is worth $100, right? Can we agree on that? Worth $100. Well, what if I was to crumble it up, throw it on the ground, step on it, step on it again, crumble it up some more, throw it around, throw it against that, beat it up real good? What's it worth? It's worth $100. See, the thing is, is that this $100 is worth $100 because it was created to be a $100 bill. This is what some of you guys look like today. Life's been tough on you, you've been kicked around, beat up, and you may be sitting next to someone who looks like this, brand new, unblemished, untarnished, and you start thinking that you're not worth anything, but if you were to take this to a store, this one would be worth exactly what this one is because you were created, they were created to be $100 bills. In the same way, you were created in the image of God. Doesn't matter what you look like on the outside. When God created you, he created you good. That's what the Bible says. The problem is, is that the bad news, that you and I are selfish, self-centered, egotistical, uh, whiny, Kids, brats, and we demand our own way, and we are, uh, we are messed up. And because of that, we are sinful. We have committed sins. There's not an honest person here that would say, I've lived a perfect life. And because of that, the Bible tells us that for sin, there must be death. So you and I are under a death sentence. You and I, who were created good because of our actions, we are under a death sentence in hell. But the good news is, is that Jesus died for you, was resurrected, and took that away. That's the good news, the bad news, and the good news of the gospel. And that has been the, uh, that has been the message from the beginning. Now, the whole Bible tells us one story, and that is that something other than you dies for your sins. That's the whole Bible from the beginning. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to take that. It's for the, uh, for the theologians in here, it's called substitutionary atonement. Something other than you dies for your sins. You don't die for your sins. Something else or someone else, okay? So if you guys look at number one, the Bible tells one story. Something, someone other than you dies for your sins. Genesis 3, 6. That's the first, the first book of the Bible, three chapters in. says this. When the woman saw the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. That's called the original sin. That's, the, that's a famous episode in the Bible. A couple verses later in Genesis 3.21, look what happens. Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. For their sin, there was the death of an animal. They didn't die for their sin. An animal died to cover them up. That's the first type of sacrifice we see in the Bible, in the first three chapters of the Bible. Long before Jesus ever did, there was substitutionary atonement. Then a couple, several hundred years later, uh, in the book of Exodus, 
The nation of Israel is in slavery in Egypt. Uh, there's a very famous guy named Moses that God sent to, uh, to, to uh, Pharaoh to tell, let my people go, to lead the nation of Israel out of Egypt. And it is one of the coolest parts of the Bible because God is sending all these plagues uh, on them, like plague of frogs, plague of gnats, plague of hail and fire, plague upon the cattle, plague, like there's plagues over and over. And it's, actually, it's really cool to read that. I'm glad it didn't happen to me. I'm glad it happened to them. But it was really cool to read, okay? And then the final plague, was the big grand poobah. It was the plague on the firstborn. And the plague of the firstborn, God said, I'm going to go throughout Egypt and I'm going to demand the life. I'm going to kill the firstborn in every household. And that's set Moses and the Israelites on it. It's like, what are we supposed to do? And God said, don't worry. I got a plan for you. I've got something for you. Check this out. Exodus 12, verse 21 through 23, Moses summoned all the elders of Israel and said to them, go at once and select the animals for your families and slaughter the Passover lamb. Everybody say Passover lamb. Passover lamb, okay. Now, take a bunch of hyssop, dip it in the blood in the basin, and put some blood on the top and both sides of the door frame. None of you shall go out of the door of your house until morning. When the Lord goes through the land to strike down the Egyptians, he will see the blood on top and sides of your door frame and will pass over that doorway. He will not permit the destroyer to enter your houses and strike you down. Okay? So, check this out. Jesus, I mean, God, God says, take a lamb, kill it. Then take his blood and put it on the door frames and the posts of your house. That's a little weird, but there's a reason for it, okay? Tells Moses to do this. And when the Lord that went through the nation of, of Egypt, if the house had the blood of the lamb on the doorposts, there was no judgment on that house. If there was not the blood of the lamb on the door, the firstborn died. If y'all have ever seen the movie Blazing Saddles, when uh, Slim Pickens is talking to Harvey Corman, and he says, I know how we run out, everybody out of Rock Ridge. Harvey Corman says, how? He goes, we'll kill the firstborn male child in every household. And Harvey Corman looks and he goes, too Jewish. That is what he's referring to, okay? The Passover, plague on the firstborn, okay? So we learn some things about this. God reveals some things about his nature, and I want you to hear this. The people in the home didn't matter. The people who were in the home didn't matter. It didn't matter if the homes were married, divorced, single. Didn't matter if the people were thieves or murderers or honest and holy, didn't matter if the people, uh, what, what kind of people were in the home. It only mattered if there was the blood of the lamb on the doorposts, okay? It, I, I'm sure, we're, I mean, we're seeing a major demonstration of God's grace here because I'm sure that some of the homes that were protected from the Passover from the, were homes that were in disarray, like many of your homes today. I'm sure they're probably adulterers. They're probably liars. There were probably uh, uh, people that were abusive in these homes. And, and uh, uh, even worse, I'm sure that some of the homes of the Egyptians that experienced the wrath of God, I'm sure that they were some good people. They were honest, maybe they were kind. See, the point of this, it doesn't matter who was in the home. It only mattered if the blood of the lamb covered the home. And that was a preview of what was to come with Jesus. The same way, you guys, it doesn't matter who you are. 
It doesn't matter if, you're, if society has decided that you're good or if you're bad. It doesn't matter if people think you're kind or if they think you're a jerk. It doesn't matter. The only thing that matters is that the blood of the lamb is covering you. That's the only thing that matters. We learned that. The Bible tells one story. It's been consistent through the entirety of human existence. And so we see that early on in the Bible, God's one story to us. And then people ask, well, why was the cross necessary? Why did Jesus have to die? Why couldn't Jesus have died in a different way? Why was that so important? Well, check this out. Deuteronomy 21, 22 through 23. This is Moses speaking. If someone is guilty of a capital offense is put to death and their body is exposed on a pole or on a tree, you must not leave the body hanging on the pole overnight. Be sure to bury it that same day because anyone who is hung on a pole is under God's curse. You must not desecrate the land the Lord your God has given you as an inheritance. One of the greatest Christian symbols is the cross. Well, now you know why. The cross was necessary because for God's curse to, to for God for Jesus to take our sin, God's curse had to be upon him. All right, why? Th- th- this is why Jesus was so troubled in the garden before he went to the cross, before he was arrested. He wasn't afraid of dying. He wasn't afraid of of of, of death. He knew that he was going to come back three days later. That's not why he was troubled. That's not why he was uh, basically sweating drops of blood. It was because of this that for Jesus to atone for our sins, he would have to take all of our sin. The man that knew no sin, never committed a wrong thing in his life, was to, be, was to take all of our sin. Not only that, the Bible told us that not only did he take sin, he became sin. I used to ask my students, who's the most evil person that ever lived? And of course, you get the standard answers, you know, Hitler, Chairman Mao, you know, the, you, you, get, you get those answers. And I was like, nope, it was Jesus and people were called back. Jesus was the most evil man. No, 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 he was the son of God, he was perfect. Like, yeah, exactly, but on the cross, Jesus became every mass murderer, became every adulterer, became every liar, every cheat, every scoundrel, every, he became every serial killer that ever lived. He became sin, and when he died on that cross, hung on a pole, therefore under God's curse, all of sin, past, present, future, died with him. And that is the message of the cross, you say, well, that, that's, that's amazing. That's amazing that, that, that all sin, past, present, and future is gone, but how's that, how's that, that was 2,000 years ago. How could he have died from my sin? Well, Einstein actually proved it. Einstein proved the theory of relativity. Well, he, he postulated the theory of relativity. And he, it, basically, the theory of relativity says this, that if we were to send you in a rocket ship out to outer space and get you traveling at 160,000 miles per second, that's fast. And you marked off every 24 hours, you marked off a day, every 365 days, you marked out a year, and you were to come back in 10 years. You would have aged 10 years, or the rest of us would have aged 20 years. Now, if, you could, if we could get you traveling at 170,000 miles per second and did the same thing, you'd, you would have aged 10 years, the rest of us would have aged 100 years. Now, if we could get you traveling at the speed of light, 186,000 miles per second, now, we, we can't do that because, as Einstein said, as you approach the speed of light, mass expands out to infinity. So don't ever let anyone tell you that you're fat. Just say, I'm traveling too fast. Okay? All right? So, but if we could get you traveling at the speed of light, 186,000 miles per second, Einstein postulated that all time would be compressed into one instantaneous second, that there would be no past, present, or future, that everything would be experienced at the same time, not in a linear progression. All time would be compressed. And Jesus, being God, experiences time that way. So when he was on the cross, 
He was not just in, two, in, in 33 AD. He was in 2022. He is experiencing that right now. He can look at you from the cross and look into your life and look into your heart and he draws the sin out of your life like, like, like iron filings to a magnet. And he does that every day, past, present, and future. That is how Jesus is able to forgive all sin, past, present, and future. It's amazing that science has proved gospel's claims. That's why the cross was necessary. Only by being hung on a tree could God's curse be on him and the sin be on him. And when he died, he dealt with it now and forever. The power of sin was destroyed on the cross. But it wasn't just the cross. Jesus was crucified, dead, and then resurrected. Luke 24, one through seven. This has been posted on Facebook a lot, and I love it. This is great. It says this, on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. When they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day raised again. And this was the message of the early church. It's amazing. The early church talked about one thing, and that was the resurrection. They didn't talk about five steps to a healthy marriage. They didn't talk about claim victory over your finances in Jesus' name. They didn't claim good people go to heaven. No, that was not the message of the early church. The message of the early church was that Jesus was crucified, dead, and resurrected, and all who believe in him are invited into a glorious new life. That's the message of the early church. And Jesus' resurrection, number five, not his death, was the hope of all humanity. Uh, Acts 4, 33, now we're into the New Testament and the apostles have seen the resurrection of Jesus. They've been filled with the Holy Spirit. And they're saying this, with great power, the apostles will continue to testify the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Hear this, people. The cross really wasn't all that important. You're like, that's the biggest symbol of Christianity. What are you talking about? Well, because it just wasn't really that big a deal. There were thousands of people that died on crosses. That was, the, uh, that was the, a, a very common mode of Roman execution back in the day. I mean, thousands, hundreds of thousands of people were crucified. There's nothing special about the cross without the resurrection, okay? It wasn't Jesus' death that meant something. It was his resurrection. If Jesus had not been resurrected, Jesus would not have even gotten a passing footnote in history. He would have just been like hundreds of other thousands of men that, that died by Roman execution. See, how else do you explain the importance and the influence of a man who never held political office. Jesus never held political office, never commanded an army, never conquered as so much as a square inch of territory, didn't write anything, never traveled more than 100 miles from his hometown. How do you expect, yeah, so how did this carpenter turned rabbi get to be the most influential, famous person in history? Jesus is so famous. What year is this? Somebody tell me, what year is this? 2022, you can't even say the date without mentioning Jesus because this is the 2022nd year since what? Since the birth of Jesus. 
Now, our, our, our school systems try to edit that out, they call it common era, as opposed to AD, year of our Lord, but this thing is still the same. It's the 2022nd year since the birth of Jesus. Can't even say the date without recognizing Jesus. Without the resurrection, how in the world could a carpenter like that have that kind of influence? Couldn't, except for the resurrection. Now, the good news is we can move towards the end of the Bible, the book of Revelation. It tells us that Jesus is reigning now. In Revelation 5, 12, in a loud voice, they were saying, worthy is the lamb who was slain. The, the, worthy is the what? The lamb. Wow, the Bible tells one story. Who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. The lamb, the lamb of God, the Passover lamb, whose blood saved the Israelites from the plague of the firstborn. The Bible tells one story. In the, in the Old Testament, it was the actual blood of an actual lamb. In the New Testament, and now it's the blood of Jesus. One story saying that something other than you saves you from your sins. Something other than you faces the wrath of God. Something other than you takes the punishment that was designed for you. That's the message of the cross. That's the message of the Christian church. That's the message of the Bible. And if that wasn't good enough news, the Bible ends like this, that Jesus will return to defeat Satan and redeem God's creation. One of my favorite passages in Scripture, whenever I get depressed, whenever I get discouraged, whenever I think that things aren't going so well in the world, I read this. Check this out, Revelation 19, 11 through 16. I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider was called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the wine press of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his side is his name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. This is the Son of God. The first time he came to earth, he came as a, as a carpenter, as a rabbi, and died a criminal's death on the cross. The second time he's returning as the King of Kings and Lord of of lords. This king that was just described here is the one that is offered to take the wrath of God for you. That's really something. God wins. He already told us. He already told us. The Bible tells one story, you all. It's something or someone other than you pays for your sins. That's the story of the cross. The gospel's good news, bad news, and good news. Good news is you're creating the image of God, and God said it was good. The bad news is you and I have sinned, and we're under a death sentence. Sentenced to an eternity in hell. But the good news is Jesus died on the cross, taking our sin, and was resurrected to give us new life, an invitation into this new journey. That's the good news and the bad news of the, of the God. And, and, and it is op, open for any who will receive it. See, guys, it's all in whose hands it's in. A basketball in my hands, you guys, is worth about 19 bucks. But that same basketball in Michael Jordan's hands is worth about 33 million. A baseball in my hands is worth about six bucks. A baseball in Pete Rose's hands is worth about 19 million. It all depends whose hands it's in. Tennis racket, pretty useless in my hands, but a tennis racket in Serena Williams' hands is a championship. A rod in my hands may keep away a wild animal, but a rod in Moses' hands will part the Red Sea. 
A slingshot in my hands is just a kid's toy. But a slingshot in King David's hand kills Goliath. Two fish and five loaves of bread in my hands makes a couple of fish sandwiches, but two fish and five loaves in God's hands feeds thousands. It all depends whose hands it's in you. Nails in my hands may produce a birdhouse. Nails in Jesus' hands will produce salvation for the entire world. It all depends whose hands it's in. So this morning, church, put your concerns, your worries, your fears, your hopes, your dreams, your relationships, your family, your faith in God's hands because it all matters whose hands it's in. Several years ago, about eight years ago, I was in the Fayette County Detention Center teaching my fatherhood course when uh, we just finished up and my way was blocked, as I was leaving, was blocked by a massive, massive inmate. Shoulders were about, they looked like an offensive line, so his shoulders were about that wide. And so a lot taller than me. And he blocked my way, and he said this. He had a tattered Bible in his hand. He said, I've got 14 kids with 11 different women, because I'm, I'm, I'm trying to change my life. But I need to know, is it too late for me? Is God going to punish me for that? And you could hear a pin drop in that room because no one knows more about consequences of actions than inmates, okay? Their whole life is judgment. And I looked at him, and I really didn't know what to say because if I gave him a wrong answer, he could probably tear me in two. And so I had to think about this. Now, now, if you were in that situation, what would you say? I said, well, I said, well, let me see your Bible real quick. And he handed it to me. It had been well read. And whenever you're worried, whenever someone is, is questioning or doubting, always take them to the cross. I took that man right to Good Friday. And I opened up to Luke chapter 23, verse 39 through 43. And I said, to my knowledge, Jesus only spoke to one criminal while he was here on this earth. And that was when he was on the cross, Good Friday. He was crucified, one thief on this side, one thief on that side. And it, and it picks up right here, Luke 23, 39 through 43. I read this to the guy. I said, one of the criminals hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us, what he said. Verse 40, but the other criminal rebuked him, shouted at him, told him to shut up, said, don't you fear God, he said to the other criminal, since you are under the same sentence, for we're here justly. We're getting what our deeds deserve, says to the other criminal. And then he says, but this man has done nothing wrong. Even a thief, I said, knows innocence when he sees it. He knew that Jesus' death was a trumped-up political charge. And then he, after rebuking the thief, he turned and looked at Jesus. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come to your kingdom. Notice he didn't say, Jesus, save me. He didn't say, Jesus, Say my name, Jesus. Uh, uh, he just says, Lord, when you are going in, just, just, just remember me. Just think of me. Give, me. give me a passing thought, Jesus, is all I ask. 
And then Jesus answered him, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. And I I folded up the Bible and I handed it back to him. And I said, Jesus said that to a felon 2,000 years ago. Do you think he would tell you anything different? And the guy stood there and he looked at the Bible and and he said, is there more um, church edit stuff in there like that? And I said, oh yeah, there's a lot of church edit stuff like that in there. And he said, well, the problem is I don't, I don't read so good. And I said, well, I'll tell you what. After class, each Tuesday, we'll go out there and we'll just open up the Word of God and I'll read it to you. He said, would you like me to do that? He said, I'd love for you to do that. And so each week after that, this wadded up, crumpled up, $100 bill of a man who was made in the image of God. And I, two wadded up $100 bills, sat there in the Fayette County Detention Center, a common area, and we read the Word of God together. See, the gospel is more than just a story. The gospel is the good news, the bad news, and the good news, that God created you, and he doesn't make junk. That we blew it, we sinned, destroyed our eternity with God, and that Jesus came to redeem that. That is the message of the gospel. Like the band, come on back up. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever shall believe in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. You saw two men, two young men get baptized up here today. If you have been confronted by the Holy Spirit, if if God has sent you a conviction in your heart and that you realize that you are in the bad news phase, that you were created good, but you have screwed it up, and you do not have Jesus paying for your sins, I'm going to invite you. What are you waiting for? Are you ready to become a follower of Jesus today? that's, That's the purpose of Easter. That's the purpose of Good Friday. That's the purpose of the entire story of the Bible, that you and I become followers of Jesus and are invited into a new life. And you start that with baptism. If you are ready to make that type of a commitment, if you're ready to become a Christian today, I wanna talk to you. I do. Don't walk out these doors the same way you were when you came in. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Happy Easter, everybody.